The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. What's started with the killing of a black man by police in the American city of Minneapolis in late May has turned into a coast-to-coast protest against racism. Fed up with inequality and violence at the hands of police, thousands have taken to the streets to rage against the police, governments and the media. In this Squeeze Shortcuts, we're going to go back to the beginning, how the South was developed with slave labour and the movement for freedom and equal rights, and then why, after hundreds of years, the rage that so many African-Americans feel about their position in American society still burns so hot. Squiz Shortcuts, the backstory to the big stories. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. To understand the ongoing tears in the civic fabric of America, it's good to take a step back and understand a bit about the history. We'll start at the beginning, and that takes us back almost 500 years, Claire. In the 360 years between 1500 and the end of the slave trade in the 1860s, at least 12 million Africans were forcibly taken to the Americas, which in those days was known as the New World to European settlers. It was the largest forced migration in human history and it led to people from some 50 ethnic and linguistic groups to be taken from their homelands. During that time, a small portion of the enslaved, about 500,000 of them, were sent to the American colonies that we now know as the United States. The majority of those went to South America and the Caribbean. How these slaves actually got there was part of an economic deal that underwrote the development of the Americas. It was called the Triangular Trade. European vessels took goods to Africa, where they were exchanged for slaves. The ships then sailed to the Americas to trade slaves for agricultural products, which were then extracted by slave labour. And those products were sold in Europe after the return journey. And the stories of the conditions that African men, women and children were hurled in on those ships as they were taken to the Americas for the two to three month journey, it was just really terrible. Many of them died undertaking that journey. Nearly a quarter of the Africans brought to North America came from Angola and arriving later, another quarter came from Senegambia. Both of those were on the west coast of Africa. Where did they go when they arrived in North America? 40% of them went through Charleston in South Carolina, which was the undisputed capital of the United States slave trade. From there, they were sold to landholders and put to work on plantations along the southern coast, cultivating cash crops like rice and tobacco. And then as the country became more settled away from the coast, heading west, slavery followed and crops like cotton were developed using forced labour. The development of cotton saw a boom in agriculture in the US. By the middle of the 1800s, the southern states were providing two-thirds of the world's supply of cotton. And during that time, the black population also grew. According to the federal census in 1790, approximately 650,000 slaves worked cultivating rice and tobacco crops. And by the 1850s, the country had 3.2 million slaves, 1.8 million of whom worked in cotton. This brings us neatly up to 1865, when slavery was abolished at the end of the American Civil War. Let's take a look at that. The 
issue of white landholders' rights to own slaves was central to the civil war that kicked off in America in 1861. In two sentences, I know you like a challenge. How did they get there? (laughs) Oh, well, look, I'll give it a go. In 1860, the Abraham Lincoln-led anti-slavery Republican Party wasn't seeking to abolish slavery. It just wanted to stop its extension into new territories and states in America's West. Lincoln was elected president in 1860, and that led to seven southern states breaking away from the United States to form the Confederate States of America. And shortly after Lincoln's inauguration in early 1861, the Civil War started. And even though more southern states broke away, in 1862, the United States Congress moved to prohibit slavery in the US territories. And then at the start of 1863, Lincoln delivered the Emancipation Proclamation that declared that all slaves in the North and the South were then thenceforward and forever free. That was a turning point in American history when the Civil War was transformed from a fight against the Southern state succession into a war for a new birth of freedom, as Lincoln stated in his Gettysburg Address later in 1863. The war then staggered to an end in 1865 when the Emancipation Proclamation was turned into law with the 13th Amendment. By then, it was 246 years after the first shipload of captive Africans landed at Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. And then we see two waves of migration of black people from the south to areas north and west of where they had been in those numbers in those southern states. Between 1916 and 1930, and then from 1940 to 1970, a total of six million African-Americans left the south. Free under the law, African-Americans were still very much at a disadvantage compared to the white population. Let's have a look now at more contemporary events in their fight for civil rights. Claire, the civil rights movement sprung up almost as soon as the Civil War ended in 1865. The aim was to establish newly freed blacks equal protection under the law, give adult males the right to vote and improve access to education and employment opportunities. And this period is called Reconstruction and focused on those southern states where the vast majority of the black population still lived at that point. But by the time that that effort was over in 1877, the concept of equal rights collapsed in the wake of legislative and judicial actions. And by 1883, the rights of blacks were very limited in many states. One term that comes up in relation to this era is Jim Crow. What's that about? Jim Crow laws are legalised racial segregation and they're named after a black minstrel show character. They're laws that lasted from that post-Civil War era right up until 1968 when they had the effect of marginalising African-Americans by denying them the right to vote, to get good jobs or to get an education and a host of other very basic rights. America was significantly changed then by World War II, which ended in the mid-1940s. Those changes extended to the ambitions of African Americans, and this is when the civil rights movement really kicked into gear. Returning servicemen wanted a better deal after putting their butts on the line for their country. And then in 1955, there was a pivotal moment when a 42-year-old woman named Rosa Parks Mm -hmm. found a seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus after work. Segregation laws at the time stated that blacks must sit in a designated seat at the back of the bus. 
There were a number of cases like that throughout that era with civil rights activists testing the system. It occurred with school enrolments, the famous Woolworths lunch counter incident in Greensboro in North Carolina, the Freedom Riders bus tour through the southern states as well. One of the most famous events of the civil rights movement took place on August 28, 1963. And that's when more than 200,000 people, black and white, congregated in Washington, D.C. for a peaceful march. The highlight being Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Just a month after that, President Kennedy was assassinated. He'd been a champion of legislation for civil rights. And five years after that, Dr. King was also assassinated. Huge events. And of course, we've only just glanced over a deep and really significant period in history. But let's keep forging forward and take stock of where things are at today. Following the civil rights gains that had been made in the 1960s when it comes to legislating for rights to equality, it hasn't been smooth sailing. One event to call out is the LA riots in 1992. They followed a case in March 1991 where officers with the California Highway Patrol attempted to pull an African-American man named Rodney King over for speeding on a Los Angeles freeway. He was resisting arrest when four LAPD officers shot him with a taser gun and severely beat him. And what caused the riots more than a year later was a finding of not guilty when the police officers went to court on charges of using excessive force. More than 60 people died in the following riots that went on for five days across Los Angeles. More than 2,000 people were injured, thousands of people were arrested and the damage to property topped a $1 billion bill. And this is really the reference point for the violent protests that we're seeing now. Demonstrations are occurring all across the country. Some commentators are saying that what is currently unfolding rivals the demonstrations of the civil rights and Vietnam War eras, such is it spread across the nation. Just remind us what kicked this chapter off. On Monday the 25th of May, four police officers in Minneapolis, which is a city in the state of Minnesota, were called to deal with a 46-year-old black man named George Floyd. He was accused of trying to use a counterfeit $20 note at a store. And after he was detained, one officer restrained him by kneeling on his neck for almost nine minutes, and he died in hospital shortly after that. And with the incident caught on video by many witnesses, it wasn't long before it went viral, which whipped up protests about the mistreatment of the black community at the hands of police. So in 2020, racial inequality is still a big thing in the US, as it is in much of the world, including Australia. It is. And by most measurable indicators, the black population lags behind whites on jobs, education, health, wealth, life expectancy, incarceration rates, just like they always have. And on the very specific issue of their record with police, black Americans account for less than 13% of the US population, but the rate at which they are shot and killed by police is more than twice as high as the rate for white Americans. So why has all this really exploded now? It comes in the wake of the February killing of Ahmed Aubrey, who was a 25-year-old black man targeted by two white men as he jogged through their neighbourhood. It was a case that authorities were accused of ignoring and tensions have been further fuelled by the coronavirus crisis, which has disproportionately affected black people's jobs and their health. It's a lot of dry kindling ready to explode. It is. And what a lot of commentators are saying is that they don't really know where this is going or what it might lead to. But there's a lot of baggage that Mm. people are carrying, as we've talked about today. 
Particularly in a year when there's a presidential election, all eyes are going to be on America for some time to come. Let's move on now to our recommendations. My recommendation is a bit of further reading to unpack the concept of race. The Smithsonian Museum takes a really good look at how race as a social construct really does dictate outcomes in life. It was a pretty fascinating read. Yeah, it is an interesting one, that one. I've gone for Childish Gambino's clip to the song This Is America, which is still pretty uncomfortable to watch, I find, I have to say, but it means so much more now that I've refreshed my memory on all of these things. And I've also put a good link to an explainer to all the visual references in that clip. It's a very powerful clip. Thanks for listening in to this Shortcuts episode. A reminder that they're also available in written format on our website. If you are enjoying the Squiz Shortcuts podcast series, we'd love it if you could leave a review or share the links on social. Spreading the word helps us to grow. Plenty more episodes on the website as well for you to have a listen. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>